What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards podcast. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Matt Moderno. Welcome to the show, Matt. What's up, Greg? How are you? I'm doing good today, man. I'm doing good. How about yourself? Uh, living the dream. The Wizards are undefeated, so it uh, doesn't get much better than this. I hope it lasts yeah. for another 85 games. Well, we'll hang the banner after we go 4-0. That's right. In, uh, in preseason. Um, this is going to be a Wizards season preview episode. You know, talking about things we like about going into the season, things we don't like, potential issues we could see with this group, things that we are very excited for, how to best develop young talent. We'll make some final predictions on the roster in terms of who will get cut and who will make the roster. Uh, and then and then we'll get into, you know, our rotations later in the episode and possibly give our predictions in terms of our record. So the first thing we're going to cover is the preseason. As you mentioned, the Wizards are 3-0. Uh, they just had a nice win at New York against the Knicks starters for the better part of the of the game. Um, had a lot of guys break out, guys like Ryan Rollins, you know, Jordan Poole putting up 41 points. He had, he had a great game. What were your overall thoughts on not only just that game, but the preseason so far as a whole, Matt? Honestly, just like Bilal excitement has kind of taken over everything. Bilal fever, I, I think that's uh, my main takeaway from all of it, but Ah, you know, there's been more good than bad. And I think from a rebuilding team, that's like pretty encouraging. I don't think there were a bunch of guys where I thought, hey, this guy was a dumpster fire. Like there were more, hey, okay, he can do this. Like that's uh that's kind of a nice spot to see. And I, I thought a little bit of the Jordan Poole discourse uh after that game the other night was was a little confusing to me. Uh he was like hyper efficient. He got to the free throw line a lot, and he didn't really take bad shots. I, I mean he took like one or two that were, I would say, maybe a tougher shot, but he made them and uh, you can live with that. He's probably not always going to make them, but I, I thought the shot diet was pretty good overall. So I, I'm not really sure what some people were complaining about. Uh, I'm not even talking about like the Denny being frustrated thing, just the fan reaction to pool um, hunting shots for himself. I, I thought was wild. Like that's what you want from your primary scorer. And when they're on a heater, you let them carry you. Now, if, he was uh, cold and doing it at the expense of other teammates. I, I think that would have been a different story. But, yeah, I, I liked what I saw from him. And, honestly, I hope he does that the whole rest of the season. Yeah, to your point, some fans just don't want to have fun, I guess. <laughs> I don't really understand why. Jordan Poole doesn't have to get a shot within the offense every time. He's going to take some really bad shots, and you have to understand that. It's the same thing with Kuz. He's going to take some really bad shots, but not only is he learning as a player and as a number one option on this team, but he's going to make a lot of them. I mean, he made six of his 12 threes. Five of them were probably terrible shots that he missed, but he made six. So 50% is an efficient clip. You're going to have to live with some of those shots with a player like Poole. And, you know, that's just how it's going to have to go. He put up 41 points. When's the last time that we had a 40-point per game, 40-point score? Brad probably last year at some point. Yeah. That's that's it. I don't know if KP ever got to the 40-point mark. Yeah, he got close but, a couple times, I think. Yeah, probably that's, that's Poole's third game in a Wizards uniform, and he's already putting up 41 points, which is really impressive. You mentioned Bilal. He has 10 steals in three preseason games. I find it funny after the first preseason game against the Taipans that everyone was like, oh, it's bad comp. Like He's not playing anyone. And then he just does it again. He had four steals uh, against Charlotte, three steals against the Knicks. He's legit, and he's legit enough to for, for me to – go off of my stool that I was standing on saying Denny should start. And I'm, I'm also considering Bilal starting. I don't, and we'll get into that a little bit later, our, our starters and our rotations. But at this point, I don't really know where I want to go. So maybe you can convince me one way or the other. Uh, and then the last thing is, is just 
the overall play of of some of the end of the bench guys. They they came back against Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I think they were plus fifteen. They had a really good game against the Knicks. That's guys like Ryan Rollins, uh, Eugene Omarui, Jared Butler. Those are guys that are are in two way spots, but they're also competing for potential roster spots, especially later in the season. So I've been really intrigued uh, as to how they have sort of developed and how they could factor into the Wizards' equation later in the season. That's a good segue into my next point, which is how to best develop the young talent of this team. It's been a very polarizing debate throughout the offseason. Do you take a a bunch of the veterans like Gallinari and and Shamit and Muscala that you acquired via trade and play them over some of the younger guys like Davis, like Koulibaly, like Ryan Rollins, like Patrick Baldwin Jr., because they give you a better chance to win and because they're more talented? Or do you side with, I'm just going to play my young guys, even though we're not going to win as many games, because we're not going to make the playoffs and it's best for development of them and for us, uh, you know, in the future as a whole. What do you, what is your stance on that debate? Yeah, so this is kind of a a delicate one. I think there's not like a really a perfect answer here. You just kind of have to find a balance. You need a certain amount of veteran guys on here because you have to see how the young guys look in the context of other people doing the right thing on the court. And if you go like full process Sixers, where it's just like a bunch of G League guys at the same time, one, they're not learning from their peers that that have done their, you know, done this and been experienced at it. But they're also you're not evaluating them in like a a fit of of where they'll be longer term. Like maybe if you just let Koulibaly cook by himself the whole time, you could see if he could do that kind of stuff. But I don't know that all those guys are ready for that right away. So being able to kind of scale them up over time, I think would be good. So you need a blend of the two of both veterans and young guys, but also you can't hand minutes to a young guy. Like they have to earn them. There has to be some amount of competition. You want them like getting those minutes because they're busting their ass in a practice or they're showing something on the court or they're making hustle plays or any of the, like the generic coach speak that they're going to throw out there. But but there's something to that, right? Like those guys have to show enough that they warrant the minutes. They have to be doing the film study. They have to know the plays. That doesn't always happen, even for NBA guys. So uh, you can't just say like you are now the starting uh, power forward, whoever. Like you have to let them um, kind of play their way up to it. And, and I'm okay with shielding them with vets a little bit early, but I wouldn't let uh young player playing time come at the expense of like, well, we have to get Landry Sham at 25 minutes a game. So maybe we get a slightly better second round pick for him. You make a good point in terms of, you know, these guys shouldn't just get the spot because they're younger and because they might be here in the future. We talk about building a culture. Dawkins has talked about building a culture. Same with winger. And it starts with not handing things out for free, you know, not giving out handouts to these young players. If you create a culture where these young guys have to earn their minutes, they have to be in the gym every morning, be in the the film room, watching film with the with the coaches, you know, really working hard on both ends of the floor. That's going to create sustainable success. That's going to create a winning culture. I'm 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 of the stance to agree with you in this in this part, just because. Look, I want Johnny Davis to play. I think that's the only way he's going to get better. The same goes for Bilal, but this isn't going to be a bottom-out season. We're not going to be the worst team in the league. So we're going to play our veterans early. We're going to play Shamit. We're going to play Gallo. We're going to play Muscala. And I would get, I wouldn't even say till the deadline. I would just say maybe like a month or two to show other teams that, look, these guys can still play. 
And if you want them at the trade deadline, they'll be fully healthy, probably offer about two to three months of just watching the younger guys play. And we're also not going to get a first round pick for any of these guys. I don't think I don't I don't think they're good enough to get a first round pick. So you're going to get a second or two. And I don't know, like Damo mentioned in the other party made a great point. I don't think playing them for the first half of the season is really going to move that needle because even if they do play well, if I'm if I'm a team like the Celtics, I'm gonna be like, well, Shamit's playing on the Wizards. Like you guys are not that good. He's playing heavy minutes here. He's not going to be in the same role. He's going to be just kind of off ball and shooting, and and I don't know if I really want to trade too much for him. So with the market not being as big, I think you know you can get a month or two out of these guys, and then you've got about six months of the season where you can play the young guys like Davis, like like Koulibaly, like Rollins, like like a PBJ, and that's fine by me. So. I agree with you in this case that that's the best case scenario for developing talent. Do you do you think the way we've been using Bilal, this is not on defense, on offense, is the best way to, to uh, like, I don't want to phrase it, optimize his value offensively because he's not, he's not there offensively yet, but he's made some threes. He's done some things that are, that are good. Where do you see him fitting? Yeah, I've seen a lot of chatter about like, oh, we're just going to throw him in the corner and ruin him again. And it's it's two and a half preseason games like it. it we don't know what they're going to do with him yet. And I think a lot of I, the former NBA players I've talked to about preseason have all kind of just described it as slightly more structured pickup. So that just sort of naturally happens, especially to guys like that that aren't going to be demonstrative and demand the ball and things like that. So I'm not overly worried about it. I do think they would be well-suited to pick spots for him and give him opportunities to be a primary ball handler or initiate the pick and roll or be the role man. Even sometimes you do an inverted pick and roll with him and Kuzma or something just to see, you know, what he can do in kind of these other situations or him and pool, like whatever that looks like. Uh, so, so you just have to like, like structure in enough opportunities to make sure he's getting the kind of reps on ball that you want to see from him longer term. And, I'm okay if those don't come early. I think last year's development should show people he can do things on the fly and pick things up quickly. And it's not the worst thing for him to build over the course of the season. For anyone not familiar at this point as a Wizards fan, you probably know his whole life story. But, you know, last year's team with Mets 92, he wasn't even on, you know, their their grown-up team at the beginning. And they needed practice players because... They only wanted Wembenyama to play one game a week, so they wanted to practice a ton, and the veteran guys didn't want to do it. So Koulibaly was was basically fresh legs in practice. And then they're like, oh, there's something here. So he became an end-of-rotation guy, and then he became first man off the bench, and then he became a starter, and then he became an on-ball initiator You know, in the last couple games of the season. So scaling him up like that is fine with me. Now, if we get to March, and he's like literally just – the 10th man and he's standing in the corner. Like, I think we'll have like a real problem, but I'm not worried about it to start the year personally. I think to start out, it's okay. Look, he's not going to be facilitating the offense or creating for others. It's just a, a factor that you have to consider when pool and coups are very ball dominant. Tyus is go with the ball in his hands and gaffs out there setting screens. You need someone to try to space the floor. Dare I say like, he's not spacing the floor I'm not respecting him from the three-point line, but he's still out there. He made some good cuts against the Knicks. He got, he cut for an and one. He cut for another layup. Mm-hmm. He he has good game sense, and I think that'll help him, you know, navigate the the offense well. But 
like we say with Danny all the time, his shot needs to develop. In the NBA, when you're playing a wing position, you can't shoot. It's really hard for the other guys to play offense, especially mm-hmm. with you on the floor. So, and it's not like his shot is is that bad. I think he has good mechanics. It's not Johnny Davis situation where his knees touch every time he shoots the ball. At least we don't have to worry about that. But he's not as far along. He's not nearly as bad from the three-point line as I thought he would be. So that's something that could help him potentially this season. I'm not too concerned about him standing in the corner. Someone has to in this West Hunsell Jr. offense for some reason. You're just going to have to live with it. But what he does defensively is good enough for me. I mean, we saw real value in Corey Kispert, and and he's not like ISOing on the wing. Uh, he was a guy that stretches the floor. At, you can be the, the weak side guy and then also be a good cutter and start in the dunker spot. Like, I think the Wizards offense is more complex than people are, are giving him credit for. It's still an NBA offense. They're running 80% of the same thing every other team is running. So it's not like Wes is rolling the ball out and just telling Poole or Kuzma to do it. I also think this narrative that both of those guys are like unwilling passers is a little frustrating. Uh, Kuzma is probably one of the better passing six foot 10 creators in the league, but all the discourse has been like, well, you know, they're going to ruin Bilal because we were playing these two guys that aren't a part of the future. And I had this conversation with someone on, on Twitter yesterday about pool, but I, I didn't go through and pull up synergy to see who throw the mo- most passes on the team in that game the other night. But I thought Poole moved the ball pretty well for a guy that had 41 points and he only had two assists. Like, okay, but one box score from one game doesn't tell you the whole story of that game. He also had a couple, uh, you know, that the people kind of bobbled and stuff like that and had to move the ball around. So he made a good pass and doesn't get credit for it. But for Poole, like he averaged 0.8 assists less per game per 36 minutes last year than Steph Curry did. And we think Steph is a, you know, a pretty good passer and that's with considerably lesser usage. So he had the ball less and created almost as many baskets for his teammates. Like, I don't think that's inconsequential. So um, if Bilal's in the right places and doing the right things, you know, again, maybe if pool's on a heater, like you want him shooting that instead of Bilal, but like if, if it's the right play, these guys are going to make it uh, or they're probably not going to get the same usage uh, long-term. So I'm not, I'm not worried. They'll, they'll make it work. With Steph out last season and Poole starting, I believe he was up to six and a half assists, five and a half or six and a half assists. He can he can move the ball. He's going to turn it over a lot, which I think people see the turnovers and and they just focus on that because again, there's a lot of negativity for some reason surrounding him. He some people just don't buy it until he drops fifty, but the passing will be there. Just quickly, people think he should be playing point guard. I don't I don't think he should be playing point guard. I I'm gonna trust Tyus. Tyus has not been great through the preseason, but look, as you saw first half last night, he was really bad. And then the second half, he was really good. He scored seven straight points. He didn't turn it over one time. He was facilitating the offense. I think it's a situation not not as similar to Monte, but Monte was really bad to start last season. And then Monte wasn't really good, but he was good for the second half of the season. I don't know how big of an adjustment is going from the bench your whole career to starting, but I guess it is a big jump that I think Tyus is just going to take, you know, 10 to 15 games to get adjusted to, and then he'll be fine. This is a guy with a good record as a starter when he's had to start. So it's not like he can't do it. I think it's to your point, Greg, like consistently having to do that every night against everybody else's starting point guard is, is kind of different. And, 
it's the same kind of thing. Like we'll get in this, I think with rotations and stuff, I don't really care who starts. It's which groups play which minutes together and what helps them. And then, you know, maybe you let pool be the closer and you don't need Tyus as much for that. And you want to go with more defenders around pool. Cause you know, he's going to get most of the touches in the final couple minutes of a close game, like something like that, I, I think is, is totally fine. I don't know that you want pool having 30, plus minutes on ball as the only creator for other people on the team. But I think you can also do it by committee a little bit to let Kuzma create some for people. I think, you know, Denny's been a reasonable creator for people. Like, can he do some stuff there? I, I think even cool Bali has, has done some driving kicks with guys. Like there's a lot of like reasonably unselfish people that, that I don't know have been pigeonholed as selfish in my opinion. So it, it's like, let's just let him see. I would try every possible lineup combination. Like, I'm I'm not a math guy, so uh, you know I have a journalism degree for a reason. So somebody can tell me what the different lineup combinations they could possibly run out there are. But I would try all twelve thousand of them over the course of the season for at least a couple minutes and just see what clicks and what doesn't. And for someone like Tyus, like he's not beating people with speed or elite athleticism or whatever. So for him, it's really like learning his guys, learning his teammates, putting them in the right spots, and. To expect that's happened overnight, I think it's kind of unreasonable personally. I spent a lot of the offseason just thinking about how Wes should deploy the new players on this team. Mm-hmm. It seems like a, a like a rather, you know, routine task for the coach in the offseason, you know, get your rotations ready, go eight to nine deep. I, I don't I did an article about this on Bullets Forever the other day. I don't know how he gets down to nine men. Stuff. With Johnny Davis out, it helps a little bit. And if Shamit's not ready, it definitely helps make it a little easier. But I think Shamit's going to be back. Johnny's going to be back about a week after the start of the season. It's not that easy. And Two more guys will go out at some point. I feel mm-hmm. like you'll always be down a couple guys, and, and that's probably what will kind of shake some of this stuff out for him. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. But at the, end, at the end of the day, is it really because after the first like four or five guys, no one's really separating themselves. So you have a bunch of players that, you don't know if they're that much better than the 12th or 13th guy as your sixth or seventh guy. And that's not the good thing. And our roster is not that great. We just have a lot of players that are kind of in the same stratosphere in terms of production and talent mm-hmm. and youth as well. Are you just give me your starters for, for right now, who are your five guys that you're putting out opening night at Indiana? I throw one thing onto what you just said though, Greg, because I think that yes. was really important and, I wouldn't worry so much about what any of those reserves do in their minutes, like production wise. If I'm Winger and Dawkins, I've got a list of traits that we want to see from players that we want to build around. And if these guys show enough of those things, those are the people I'm choosing to invest in and bring back next year, or Mm -hmm. at least not be willing to part with unless, you know, we get serious value. And if you see some of these guys that like, well, yeah, you know, um, Sham, it's a bad example. I feel like the poor guy's getting beat up on for a pretty solid NBA player. But like if Shamit, yeah, he uh, you know, is like averaging 20 points per game per 36 minutes, like he looks really good, but he's only like just as a shooter or not a defender or not doing the other things that they want from their guys longer term, like then that's a guy you move. Uh if it's hey, Johnny Davis isn't really scoring efficiently or whatever, but He's after it defensively. He moves the ball well. Uh, he's diving for loose balls. And and that's the kind of stuff we want to build around. Then, you know, hopefully those are the kind of guys they keep. So whatever their list of traits are, I think that's probably more what they're or I, what I hope they're targeting, uh, you know, instead. 
Uh, okay, my starting five. Yeah, I, I don't care. I know this sounds bad. Like, I, it's not what the entry you want for for running a podcast here. But like, it's whatever they think makes the most sense for them looks great. And and honestly, I just wouldn't be committed to a starting five. So after eight games, I'd try something different to start the year. I'm not mad at what they've been doing in the preseason. I do think it'll be Denny uh, as the starting three. That's just every sort of subtle comment from Wes Unseld leads me to believe that that's what they're going to do and give him like, you know, every opportunity this year to show whether or not he he should be a part of their long-term future and, and have those traits that we just kind of talked about. So that's my hunch. Uh, I would be fine with starting Belisle as long as there's enough staggering of him, you know, not with Poole and Kuzma. So maybe you can use him a little bit more creatively, but you know, either way, I, as long as someone like that gets consistent minutes um, and he's going to mix in with the other team starters and things like that over the course of a game anyway. So I think that's okay. The only thing I would maybe consider is just if you do start Denny and you do start Gafford, it's getting tougher to have two non-shooters on the court on an NBA, uh, on an NBA court right now. And I just wasn't loving the Gafford minutes thus far. Again, it's preseason, not trying to read too much into it. I've been a Gafford guy for almost his entire time here. But if you start a Denny, do you need to play somebody like Mascala or somebody that can shoot it a little bit? Um, I, I would try it. I mean, you're not going to be great defensively anyway. So someone that's just in the right spots and disciplined and can run the floor hard and stretch the floor on the other end, maybe that's enough of a of a positive to uh, at least give it a try. I like that way of thinking, you know, just try different things. You might as well. There's there's no, you know, there's no downside to really losing. Is if you're losing the right way and you're building good habits, like Koo said, it doesn't really matter. For me, I've spent a long time, a lot of hours just, you know, messing around with different rotations, seeing, you know, if I do this, then what happens with this player? What I've settled on is two different seasons, the early mm. part of the season and then the post-deadline part of the season. Early part, I think we're going to see a lot more veterans play, and I think people aren't going to like the lineups we're putting out because certain guys they want to see play, like Baldwin Jr., like Rollins, like Omar Rui, they won't be playing just because not only are we trying to build trade value, but certain guys are just better right now and Wes is going to try to give the team the best chance to win look they're not going to tank openly they're not going to throw out you know jared butler instead of pool that's just not going to happen we will never ever tank baby we will not by the merch by the way yeah, uh thank you. so for my early season i have tyus in the line as as my point guards i have pool and shamit look i hate that i have to say that i don't want shamit i said 10 times in my article i think davis should be playing there I think Wes is going to do this. Um, this is just my prediction for what Wes is going to do. I okay. think Wes will go talent and shooting over Johnny Davis. Maybe Davis gets in as that fringe, you know, 11th man if something happens. But I just don't see it. At forward, it's Denny or Bilal. The reason I'm going Bilal is because I think Denny should play a little more of the four this season. Try to get him in the paint as much as possible, not just sitting on that three-point line. Maybe setting some more screens for guys, rolling to the basket. And if I put him at the three and I have, you know, Kispert backing him up, I can't find minutes for Bilal. I don't want to play him at the four. So if I put Bilal at the three and have Kispert backing him up, I can put Danny at the four, have him back up Kuz, and then all of the guys I want to be playing are playing. And look, 
like I mentioned, there's always the guy with the Wizards that doesn't start but closes the games. And I think Denny can be that guy. Bilal can start early on, but Denny's going to still be playing 30-plus minutes, I think. So I'm okay with him being on the bench for now. Maybe he gets a little more usage, honestly, because I don't see him contributing offensively with all of those guys like Paul and Kuz on the on the on the court. I think he's just going to be sitting in the corner, whereas he's going to be asked a lot more offensively when he's playing with Shamit, Kispert, Wright, and Muscala. Mm-hmm. What is your take? What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean the will Denny get minutes at the four thing? I I think. For him and Kuzma out there together, it's like largely interchangeable, in my opinion. The stuff they're going to ask them to do, they can guard the same people. Kuzma's probably more perimeter oriented at this point, so so maybe that default makes Denny like the air quotes for, you know, a, a four three with a lot of these guys is is pretty much the same, especially when like, you know, Pool is like very clearly not a wing. Uh, so those two guys kind of get the same responsibilities. Uh, especially with who they guard. So that that's fine. I, no real issues there. I, I think it would be a travesty if they don't play Davis, if he's healthy. I think all you want from Shamit right now, and the only reason to give him minutes when he's healthy is to just show other teams that he's healthy. Like that's, you just need to do enough that they're like, okay, he's moving well enough. He's, there's no lingering injury stuff here. He's good to go. And then I don't know that you have to continue to play him, you know, like it, he is what he is. So as long as you've shown he's a hundred percent of who Landry Shamit is, I don't know that they're going to like boost his value or anything beyond that. Whereas like Davis, you have to start to decide here pretty quickly if he can do anything for you at the NBA level. It doesn't have to be day one. I wouldn't rush him back from injury. Maybe he does see some minutes with the go-go as he kind of ramps back up from this elbow problem. We'll see how long that actually lingers. I'm sure they're going to be cautious with him anyway. So that maybe that clears out that glut for you, and by the time he's healthy, you don't need to play Shamit anymore. So, so maybe that's fine. Uh, no, no objections otherwise, Greg. I think you put a lot of thought into that, and it, it, I think a lot of the stuff is just going to work itself out. Someone will go down with another ankle roll for a week and a half, and you can try someone else. Uh, just if they play 11, 12 guys this year for some part of the year, uh, that that wouldn't surprise me either. And I think some of this will have to be situational too, like. Is it matchup dependent? Who closes? Maybe we need a more defensive group so you get a Denny out there to close a game. Maybe you need more shooting based on the way they're guarding you. You need Kispert out there. So I don't know. I, hopefully Wes and company are doing this smartly enough that there's a, a method to the madness beyond just like when Scott Brooks was the coach and they would ask him like, why did you take that guy who made three threes in a row and sit him for the rest of the game? And he told us he coached on feel. Like, I really hope that that's not what we're doing here. Like, I know that's some part of it for an NBA head coach, but uh, I, I want there to be a plan. And obviously, like, you can go off script when you need to, but at least go into these things with a thought on who's going to do what and who's going to play together and what we're going to try each of these games. I like what you said there. Uh I, I don't think it needs to be, you know, we throw this guy out or throw that guy out and see what he has. Like you mentioned, there needs to be a plan. There needs to be, you know, a vision of let's play this guy this amount of minutes per game and then let's see what this guy has and we'll play him for a little bit. I don't want it to just be like the Anthony Gill treatment the last like two years where, oh, we have we have someone down in the in the front court. Let's take our 15th man and play him 35 minutes. That makes no sense. Yeah, you should have a you should have a backup option. Like I wouldn't even be opposed to Michael Foster playing. 
I, I hope he does at some point and whether that's not right away because he's got to learn the offense and things like that so be it but there should be some point in this year where that guy gets some minutes and all things being equal I'd rather see him play over Taj and that's not a disrespectful comment to Taj Gibson it's just what does that do for us really value added as the third big at this point if you're playing There's nothing a veteran in Muscala ahead of him, a veteran in Gallinari ahead of him. You know, like, I, I just don't, you know, let's put Gill and Gibson and Cooks out there together. And it's like, uh, okay, uh, like that's the all not going to be here long time group. So uh, that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not feeling that. The one thing I, I hope happens here that has just not seemed to be a thing with the Wizards for the last, I don't know, probably decade. And it happens with every other NBA club you hear about or people you talk to or former wizards club. When I talk to these guys that the coaching staff pulls each player aside to start the season and says, this is the role we envision for you right now. It doesn't mean you're limited to this role that you can't show us that you can do more. And then we can't scale you up and give you more responsibility over time. But this is where we're starting and we'll reevaluate in eight to 10 games. How many years in a row have we heard? Well, there was a players only meeting in December where the players got together and decided what their roles would be. And it's like, how the F does this same thing keep happening? So uh, I, I really just don't want that to be the case. Neither do I. I don't think any fan wants that. All I've been preaching the last two years is not only direction, but having that role defined. I feel like the last two years we were just throwing you know, shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. Like, at least know what you're doing. Stop playing your 14th and 15th man when you have your 10th and 11th guy in front of them. You should you should have a structured, you know, okay, we have this guy. He's supposed to rebound. He's supposed to defend. We have another guy on the bench that can do just that. Let's mm-hmm. play him. Mm-hmm. And then, no, let's play Anthony Gill. Anthony Gill is just that guy. I'm not hating on Anthony Gill. I'm sure he's a great guy. I know he's a great guy. I just – I don't want to see him or Taj Gibson play. Honestly, I don't want to see Taj Gibson on the court at all this year. You signed him to be a veteran mentor. You didn't sign him to play games for you. You have a bunch of guys that are younger that can play. And it, and it just, it does nothing. It does not move the needle for me if we're playing Taj Gibson. Same goes for a lot of guys on this team, but that's, that's about it. If I tell you, I, I mentioned I had two different seasons. That was the early season. The yeah. post deadline is going to be a little better for Wizards fans and something that they want to hear. It's Tyus Jones, and backing him up is Ryan Rollins. I'll get into Rollins later in the episode. I, I tweeted he should definitely be on the roster. He earned it. He He's a great player. He has a lot of upside, and I hope that we give him more time after the deadline if DeLon is moved, even if he's not moved, to show what he has. Jordan Poole at the two. Johnny Davis backs him up. I would assume Shamit's moved. Koulibaly, Kispert, same thing at forward, same thing at power forward, Kuz and, and Danny. And then I have Gaff at center, and I put Baldwin Jr. out there. I don't think Baldwin Jr. is a center, I'll say that. But I wouldn't be opposed to playing small ball just so he can get minutes. Again, we're not trying to win the championship. We're not even trying to make the playoffs. We're trying to get better and evaluate players. So if he can see the floor, that's a win for me. Yeah, uh, let's find out if he's a center or not. Uh, again, this the whole theme should be experimentation and if it goes terribly, then then you know, and that's not a thing we need to try, or we need to have him work on X, Y, and Z things in the offseason so that maybe it can be a thing for him next year. And that seems to be more of like the OKC model. You know, they they let those guys have some freedom, especially on some of those sort of more rebuilding teams. And, and like I think Dawkins was involved with that with his 
Director of Player Innovation and Creative Strategy Decision Making Vice President Director uh, title or whatever his thing was in OKC. It, it seemed like some of the more outside the box stuff on, on how to use players was was part of his, uh, you know, bailiwick of things. So let's try it out here. Get weird. We mentioned not wanting to see Taj Gibson play over the younger guys. It's a theme that we both agree on, and I'm sure a lot of Wizards fans agree on. We don't want to see older players that won't be here a year or two down the line playing big minutes in front of younger guys that you're hopefully trying to evaluate. Not necessarily that they need to be here down the line as well because they're young. That's why you're evaluating. Is this guy a long-term piece or is he not? Whereas you already know with guys like like Taj Gibson that they're probably going to retire next year. There's no point in giving them minutes. It's honestly wasted minutes if you're not playing some younger guys that you want to evaluate in NBA roles. We have to cut two people pretty soon here. We've already seen you know significant roster cuts happening. I just saw Jalen Noel was cut by the Kings, a guy that I thought was one of the, the top point guards in the free agent market. It played very well in Minnesota. Hmm. Just because you know you're you're talented, there's a lot of talent in this league, and some guys you don't think are going to get cut will get cut. The end of the at the end of the day, the Wizards have 17 guaranteed contracts on the 25th, which is five days away. Only 15 of those guys will make the roster. I think there's about you know 12 to 13 guys that I'm confident will make it, and then there's a there's a bubble where there's four guys that I don't think you know are set in stone. Those guys are Anthony Gill, Xavier Cooks, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ryan Rollins. And then I'd put Omar Rui there. I know he's on a two-way, but I feel like he has earned the fact that maybe we sign him to the active roster. But let's focus on the four bubble players. Out of the out of those four, which two do you not see coming back to the Wizards? Just one, again, sorry to circle back. One final point on the last discussion there on Tosh Gibson. It, I did get to see sit courtside one time at a go-go game while Greg Monroe was still playing for them as their center. And it was really incredibly valuable for those young guys to have an older backline center, like calling things out and pointing things out to them. So if Gibson is the one lone vet out there with some of these other young guys or something, I'm fine with that. I just don't want to see that at the expense of other young guy development. So I'm I'm totally with you. I just think that, that maybe there's some situation where you can find some value from that, but that's fair. Yeah. Only kind of caveat there. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't think there's a world where they try to get Amarui on the main roster. I think they'll milk the 45 games or whatever it is, 50 games with the two way now, as long as they humanly can. And then maybe when they've kind of thinned out some of this stuff, you know, so be it. Uh, can they work out a trade between now and then with a team that notices they need some guard help? Can they move a Shamit, move a Delon Wright, one of these kind of guys, or a two for one or something to to try to like lighten at least one of those spots? Maybe. I think Gill's injury really puts him kind of behind the eight ball here a little bit. The fact that they haven't been able to see him up close and personal in some of these games with some of these other players, he looked really good. Like rocking the polo shirt and khakis the other day coming off the bench. So, you know, maybe that's a move for him as uh, we can convert him to the coaching staff immediately. I, I don't know what his deal is, uh, but that's probably where I would start personally. I Again, not to shit on Anthony Gill. Like I, I think there's definitely a place for someone like that as a veteran guy and, and, you know, coachable moments and things like that, but it shouldn't come at the expense of one of these other young guys who has 
the opportunity to be, you know, something for you, maybe at least potentially. I'm kind of in the same boat with Cooks. I feel like they're going to keep him. I feel like they're going to give him every opportunity to just do that because it seems like a a thing they'll want to try. He's got positional versatility. You could kind of plug and play him in at like three through five, honestly, in, in, in some situations, depending on who he's out there with. So that really helps you with your last guy off the bench if he can be um, kind of the plug all the holes you need kind of guy. I hate to say it, but like Baldwin Jr. is kind of where I'm thinking might be a casualty. He hasn't really shown anything in his kind of limited preseason minutes. Rollins went out and like took advantage of the opportunity. And this is probably some amount of confirmation bias for me because I would have, I had a much higher evaluation of Rollins than I did Patrick Baldwin Jr. in draft stuff. But you never know what these guys thought of him going in. So maybe it's the opposite for them and nothing a Rollins was going to do will change their mind. I don't know. Could you convert Patrick Baldwin Jr. if he's cut to the open two-way? Like, maybe that's enough to keep him around and in the system, and then you promise him, hey, you know, we'll get you back later in the season or something like that when when some of these guys move on. Maybe that's enough for him, or maybe someone like a Rollins would be willing to do that. You don't know. I, I mean, like, they could have those conversations, but you've also opened yourself up to if you waive them, some other team could, you know, swoop in there and do something with them. So, uh it's it's going to be really interesting, I think. But if if I had to guess right now, maybe it's Gill and and Baldwin Jr. I don't know where are you at, Greg. That's fair. I one thing that is weird to me is Anthony Gill was playing. He was the first person off the bench in that first preseason game before he pulled his hamstring. That says a lot to me. I've been on the on the not on the train because I don't want him to get cut. I think he's a great not a great not only a great like locker room guy, but just a great person to have with this young group. Same thing goes for Taj. I just the age is the only the only down part. He's thirty. I don't I don't know how much longer. Not only is he in the NBA, but is he on the Wizards? And for me to take him over Patrick Baldwin Jr., especially when Patrick Baldwin Jr. is only twenty one, he has all the tools. He just needs to develop. It's it's hard for me to do that. Another thing, Cooks played 12 minutes the first game, and then he had a DMP and only played three minutes. That's so much different from Gil, who was going to be one of the first guys off the bench throughout the preseason. Then you go to a guy like Eugene Omarui, who played nine minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes. Same goes for Butler. These guys are getting consistent minutes, and Xavier Cooks was getting DMPs. It could either mean that they're wanting to evaluate these guys, and they already know they're going to keep Cooks, or they don't think Cooks is going to be here, so why are we playing him? I don't know what what to take out of that. If it were me, I just I'm going youth over age here. I think we have enough veterans on this team for these guys to learn from, for you know, to show them the ropes, especially like you mentioned with Taj. Mm. I don't what well, Xavier Cooks is not a vet. Let's get in front of that first. He's 28, but he's been in the NBA for maybe 15 games. He's still learning as well about the NBA. And I'm not trying to develop a 28-year-old rookie over a yeah. 21-year-old second year player. That's just that's not where, what I'm trying to do with this rebuild. And that's why he's he's the one guy I'm, I'm definitely moving on from. And it gets tough because I think Rollins did enough, 13 points, you know, shot 75% from the four, plus 23. He was really good against the Knicks. And I think, like you mentioned, Baldwin Jr. went out and he he didn't make a shot. I don't think he made a shot. Yeah, he he affects the game defensively. He's really good length, but... It's like a Michael Porter Jr. If Michael Porter Jr. never really developed, he has right. If he never actually made those shots, yeah. 
he has the frame at 6'9". He has the length. You know, he has the traits to be a Michael Porter Jr. type player, but he's not going out there and, and taking advantage like Rollins did. I think Rollins has made the roster. I'm pretty certain that I wouldn't bring Cooks back. And as you mentioned, it's between Gill and Baldwin Jr. I think it's just a philosophy thing. Do we want to just take all of these mentors and, you know, build a solid culture and foundation? And I think Gill's a great person to do that with. He's the most liked person on the team the last three years on a team that's had a lot of issues internally in the locker room. He's been the constant guy that everyone says, look, this guy's the best. He's a pro. We love having him around. That's tough to move on from when trying to build a culture. But I just have to side with youth here. I think there's a lot of potential with Baldwin Jr. If you can get him on that third two-way, great. I don't think he's going to want to sign. I think he know, he thinks he belongs in the in the NBA, which I'm sure he does. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to seeing another team come in and swoop him up in two seconds. So I'm going to go with Rollins and Baldwin Jr. here. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer something like that. You know, personally, I want to see the young guys. I think it's what you were just touching on is what, they feel like they can do in terms of like roster and contract gymnastics. Like you can't put Gill on a two-way contract. So if you cut him, does he just, you know, disappear onto the ether or whereas like, if you could convince Baldwin jr. And them that that's best for his development to, to do this. And then they'll bring him back up and make him whole on the back end. Like maybe there's something there. So I, I think they're going to have all those conversations. I, I would be shocked if they're not like making some calls right now to see if, if they can move on from any of these kind of guys. Be honest with you, like the one guy we didn't talk about is Gallinari. And I haven't seen anything there that leads me to believe that this is the guy from like three or four years ago. Uh, The last time he was on an NBA court healthy, he still wasn't that great. So even if he gets back to that, does that really help you at all? He's probably not a tradable asset. He's probably a, I'll get bought out later in the year kind of guy anyway. So maybe you just pull the cord now and let him go to some place where he can be the, you know, can he go sit on the Warriors bench and be the 10th man and come in and do some spot shooting? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying I would do it, but it's, it's probably at least been something they've kicked the tires on, uh, in, you know, in the front office lounge or wherever they're sitting around having these combos. I could see that. I mean, I already moved Muscala in front of him. Muscala just seems like he provides more. He can move better with his feet. He's not getting beat every single defensive possession. He shoots the ball pretty similar, maybe even better than Gallinari. The scoring ability off the bench is what Gallo provides. He's been a scorer his entire career. Again, I think you make a great point there. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I just I want to keep Rollins and those bottom three guys. It's I prefer PBJ, but I don't I don't think it really moves the needle. I like Gil. I like PBJ. You know, it's just the unfortunate part of the business sometimes. It's a good problem to have when you want two guys. It's not like, oh, well, there's four guys at the end of our roster we don't want. Just, you know, cut two. I like that, you know, we have to have a discussion about even the end of our bench. So, yeah, I agree. and I think your line of thinking makes the most sense, Greg. It's not just who helps you. Who's the better player right now? It's who's the better player two seasons from now. And mm-hmm. And there's just kind of no world where it's Gill or Cooks ahead of some of these younger guys. Uh, going into what I or what we both see as foresee as problems this season, I think there's going to be a lot of issues with this group. A lot of pros as well, but when you have a young team, they're going to be low. They're going to be learning, growing throughout the season. 
for me, rebounding is going to be terrible. It, we've seen it in the first couple preseason games. We're getting destroyed on the glass, and it's not due to lack of trying. Gaff's out there, you know, boxing out two guys trying to get the rebounds. It's the other guys that aren't sinking and, and aren't helping out with that rebounding. And look, we have three guys on the floor probably that aren't great rebounders. And then you got Kuz and Gaff down low if, if that if Bilal starts. I don't see where the rebounding production comes from outside of Gafford. You need Kuz to honestly be averaging eight to nine, you know, upping those rebounds, helping out down low if I'm if I'm Wes Onsell Jr. Because so many times, even last season, we would get destroyed on the on the glass, especially on the defensive end. And we wouldn't be able to close out possessions with our already bad defense. And that's how you lose games. Where do you see the biggest issues with this team? I again I I like Gafford, so I don't want to just like keep beating him while he's not, I know, somewhat down, I guess. But I actually do think he's kind of the biggest issue with some of the rebounding. And it's just being out of position. Like he got absolutely worked by Nick Richards. It happens every time. And Nick I Richards think, kills the Wizards. I don't understand that. It's just like an effort thing, maybe. But it's, it's Gafford knowing when to stay home. And and part of that is a porous perimeter defense. So like I think all these things kind of compound with each other, right? Like they get beat, Gafford has to contest. He's not boxed out his man. No one else is kind of like offsetting that. I thought Kuzma was a really good defensive rebounder for the Wizards two years ago, but we saw less of that last year. He was a little further away from the basket when he was out there with both Porzingis and Gafford, which makes sense. But can he get back to that this year? And and you're gonna have to have that team rebounding approach, but Gafford's never been much help on the boards. And and I think that year where he was really good with Westbrook, he was contesting everything, challenging all these shots and was away from the rim. But you also had an elite rebounder in Westbrook to kind of make up for that. And and now who does that? Is Tyus going to pick up the slack? Is Jordan Poole going to pick up the slack? Is it Bilal or Denny? Like I, to your point, I don't know where that comes from. And <sighs> that's that's gonna just be something that gets exposed all season i think like i I don't think there's an answer with this roster makeup to really address that other than put everybody on the defensive glass every time and when these other nba teams are only sending one guy to the to the rim anyway that really kills you in transition that that you have to have everybody stay home so you know that like that's the thing if you want to play fast you got to get stops and you got to get rebounds and if we're not getting stops or rebounds this we're going to play fast thing is only going to last so long and i think we all think that that's the best way to maximize offensively so uh commitment to pace i think it's going to be the big thing when they start losing some games on defense does wes unseld immediately revert, you know revert back to his strategy of playing fast kills you defensively i, I don't know and just at, at some point like how do you feed all these mouths? Like, will they be able to commit to everybody eats in some sort of way, shape or form here? Uh, that's, that's interesting. I, I'm not making too much of the, the Denny pool thing the other day. Like, I really don't think that's a big deal, but when you've seen that in the third preseason game, what does that look like? The 14th game of the year, if they're three and 11 or something like that, uh, how everybody has great chemistry, like every single media day talks about how much these guys love each other but you really see that when when the team's been punched in the mouth a couple times so what does this look like and how committed to the rebuild are we here really so i think that'll all be kind of the stuff i'm most 
interested in seeing as, as potentially problematic. Well said. I, I can't. I don't have much to add. I agree with everything that was just said. I'll touch on the pace. That needs to be one of the things that we we've seen it hammered home at media day and by coups and by pool and by the players. That's something that that was my biggest issue last season. Your pace of play does not like if you play fast. I don't. I don't think. I don't agree with Wes's philosophy of your defense sucks. I think your defense just sucked. That's right. the only thing. Like you, your pace is not the reason for it. And you played slow last season, mm-hmm. so it's not like your defense sucking was because you were playing fast. Yeah. Your defense was still bad, so you might as well play fast and try to get more points. That's my philosophy. I like that. Just the final thing. We're gonna. I'm gonna give you like four quick fire questions. Okay. Um, you know, just give me your your answer here. First one is. Um, over under three and a half players traded by this year's deadline off the wizards. Ooh. Uh does does somebody bought out count or are you talking strictly traded? I'll say bought out. Bought out is fine. Just off the roster. Okay. Ah uh, shit. I would say probably exactly three. So I think I'm gonna take the under. It's fair. Um any where of go? where would you go with that, Greg? I'm I'm really curious. I go I go over. over. I just I think we're gonna have a, a big turnover. Um, it, it, there's certain guys that I think definitely get moved, like Shamit and and Muscala, and then there's guys depending on how they play, how we evaluate it. Tyus and Delon, you, you never know. Maybe some of the younger guys that we don't see going, you know, you know extending. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of pieces that that I think get moved, and like you mentioned, Gallo getting bought out. It's a possibility. Certain things like that. I would go over. I'd be at four. Okay. That's where yeah. I'd be at. Three and a half Next was question. a really good number. That's literally yeah. what I was stuck between. So, gotcha. Do you do you think any of Tommy Shepard's draft picks are not with the Wizards by the end of the season? I'm pretty on record here saying I think Denny's probably not uh, on the Wizards at the end of the year. That's just my take. I I I think you're right on that. It's just, the pool thing. I'm not reading too much into it, but. It's tough when a guy's in a contract year. I think we might see – I hope we don't see anything similar to, to Rui where it's like, look, you're not going to be here. Like, we're going to move you. Yeah. Well, you know, I hope we take care of our own. And Denny needs to earn that first. It's, like you said, we're not going to give handouts here. If Denny earns it, let's pay him. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, create a culture of if you play well, let's bring you back. Yeah, but, I'm not saying I even want that. I just yeah. I have a hunch that, that that's not going to mm-hmm. be where they want to invest longer term. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is record prediction. Where do you see this team? Oh, I've been thinking about this a lot and I keep going back and forth. I am definitely going to take the over, but I can't come up with the number. And, and honestly, I need to like, look at like their back end of the year schedule too. Cause I, I think where this team makes that over is that last like 20 games of the year where they're playing like the young energetic guys a lot. And all of these other teams are just like chilling, right? Waiting for the playoffs. Like, can they go on a 12 and eight run down the stretch or, or something, you know, to, to close the year out? Ah, uh, uh, do I have to come up with a final number here, Greg? I, I can't get No, you're good. I, I see what you're saying. Over, over 24 and a half. That's what probably at. less than 30, I think is where Fair. I'm at. Yeah. Exactly where I'm at. I got 28 and 54. And you know that kills me as someone that I hate talking about how bad my team's going to be, but I can't get over the fact that we're going to be pretty bad. We're definitely going to get over 24 and a half. 
but I think, like I mentioned, I see two different ver- two different seasons here. And when everyone's moved on at the deadline and you're playing your end of the bench guys that are learning and growing as it goes on, you're going to lose some games. The talent gap is going to be too big. And I think we're just going to fall off towards the end of the season. They had the Bill Simmons under over podcast or over under podcast with him, Ryan Rosillo and Joe House, who was a Wizards fan. And uh, Simmons and Rosillo like were hammering the under. They thought it was like a stone cold lock. They thought like 18 might even be too much. And uh, and shout out Joe House for holding down for the Wizards fans for, for trying to explain to them like this team is going to be scrappier than I think people mm-hmm. are realizing just looking at the roster on paper. So I hope he's right. I agree. Last question. This is new. This is Matt's die on the hill player. You would stand up in front of a crowd and defend this player. It doesn't have to be a, a, a like a big time player. It could be someone you think on the end of the bench, but you're going to go in front of Wizards fans and say, this is my guy. You're going to see eventually he's going to produce this season. Produce this season. Uh, hmm. I shouldn't say this season. This is a guy that you're that's going to produce. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty pro Rollins, but I kind of just want to go Davis because now I think I've got to die on this hill. Like I didn't like Davis pre-draft. I had him 19th on my board. I didn't want him with our pick at least. Uh, so I was unhappy with that pick, but just we soured on him so quickly that I feel like I need to double down on like, like, Hey, this guy will be a productive member of the team. I think he's really good defensively already. And if you move on from people like DeLon and, and some of these other guys at the deadline, there's a world where you need Davis to go out there and, and be the guy trying to shut other people's, you know, best perimeter players down and stuff like that. So I'd like to see that. So I think I'll go um, Davis just just so somebody says Davis at some point during the year here. I love that. I'd love for you to be right. I'm, I would also be willing to die for die on that hope for Johnny Davis. I'm glad you didn't go Rollins because that's actually my guy. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Rollins is going to be in this rotation at some point in this season. He's going to contribute. He just dropped 13 points on 75% from the floor against the Knicks. He is a player that has all the tools to be good, and I think he could be the backup point guard of the future. I'm going to die on a hill for Ryan Rollins. Hopefully he you know, makes me look good this season. Hopefully he gets some run. This is Matt Moderno. I appreciate you for coming on the pod. Really appreciate it. Where can we find you, Matt? Uh, believe in Wizards pod. Uh, Greg's been on there a bunch of times. He kills it every time. So I was happy I could finally return the favor here for you a little bit. You're doing a great job. Please keep it up. Uh, Greg, just tell people, if you don't mind, how old are you? I'm 19. That is fucking crazy to me that you are younger than most of the people on this roster. And when we were talking about 35 or 30 being old for Anthony Gill, I'm now 35. And in my mind, I'm, I'm your age sitting in my dorm room doing this. So, um, Thank you for making me feel young and and you're killing it, man. You're going to be, uh, you know, one of the rising stars in, in Wizards coverage over the next several years here. And I look forward to seeing where you go from here. I appreciate it, man. Uh, I didn't, for people that don't know this, be quick. The only reason I got to start doing this is because people like Matt reached out to me and wanted to give me a platform to speak. So I'll, I'll forever be indebted to you for that. And obviously, like I mentioned, when I was on Matt's pod, I have been a seasoned veteran for Believe in Wizards listeners, I don't miss an episode. You should not miss an episode either. Make sure you go. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Go download it on YouTube as well. Matt does great stuff. Follow him on Twitter as well for his Wizards takes. But again, Matt, appreciate you for coming on. And, and this is going to do it for this episode. See you guys.